songs uh, those lyrics were written over 40 years ago all right and uh, boy you can see the progress since alvin lee penned those can't you uh that's what we talk about here regularly weekday roger sales with you of course radio ranch and the people's patriot network and uh, uh got some guys on the board already it's the september 16th edition 9 16 20 uh all kinds of stuff happening all over the planet so that's the kind of things we talk about. Uh, it sounds like somebody's in a bathtub somewhere in the background. I don't know. Some That was you. Yeah, Cody is coming from you. Cody's with us. How you doing this morning, Don? Cody, we were talking as we went on the air about the fires and uh, and, and, the, and the whole Democratic uh, Zionist uh, plan, the, the left-wing plan they've been fomenting, organizing for, setting up, and planning on execute for so, executing for so many years, which we talk about regularly. Uh, it's time they got to bring it all out of the closet, and the battle is nigh. Uh, it's going to be pretty ugly. There was a very, I think it was Don, our listener in Thailand, sent me a new Bill Still that I got to watch this morning when I got up. And uh, he had a segment from Tucker from last night's show on there, which I didn't get to see Tucker. The guy that puts it on BitChute didn't put the show up last night, and YouTube won't show anything but just some excerpts anymore of him or Lou Dobbs. They haven't had a Lou Dobbs show on in da- in three days. Uh, so um, anyway, this guy is, uh, I forget from what organization he's from, but they're doing – they pinpointed the guy that they think is at the center of all this is a Jew lawyer named Eisen. Um, so, uh, and was talking about the, he's, he's the one, he's been involved in 180 lawsuits brought against Trump. In the center of what, Roger? In the center of what's coming with their CIA-type color revolution plan. And he went into the two CIA-type plans they use when they're doing these color revolutions using Twitter and all that stuff. They've been doing it for a number of years, especially in the Arab world and in Eastern uh, Europe. And uh, there's two types of that plan, according to this guy that was interviewed by Tucker. Very credible guy, by the way, seemed like. And uh, the second type is where they contest the election, have demonstrations in the street, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously that's the one they're already setting up. Uh, so anyway, that's coming. Fires, I'm sure, is part of it. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, whether this was a rogue Antifa bunch that went out and started doing this or whether this somebody at the top said, you guys go out there and be idiots and put your lives on the line, we don't know. Uh, but maybe that'll come out. I see Lou's joined us. Uh, but interesting times for sure. There's uh, Mr. Chris. Good to have you guys on. You know, people better lose their passivity if they start seeing people with small oh, olive cocktails. Oh. They better be ready to shoot. You know, Cody, down where I come from, they say this is when you either fish or cut bait. There you go. Okay. People are, are so in, ingrained with the passivity that we're going to... 
we're going to end up having a Bolshevik revolution and have some real pain well, if we're not willing to exert. I, so. I mean, you remember Solzhenitsyn said in his book, Arpeg Gula Poligo, whatever the hell it is, said that <laughs> what would what would have happened if somebody would have just said no? When they came for them in the middle of the night and they'd have to go up in the apartment buildings and they'd grab the whole family and walk them down the stairs, what if somebody just said no? Nobody did, and you see the consequences. That's the big lesson we learned with these people is you got to stand up to them. That's why this damn information we cover here is so important because you can stand up to them and rub their noses in it and you never even have to brandish a weapon. Well, it's a little easier when we have the threat of the weapon in the background where, you know, in Russia, I did a little research on this since I've got some German-Russian relatives that disappeared in the Holodomor, and there's a really good website, Holodomor CT for Connecticut.org, and they've got a bunch of information. And uh, they sent me a poster that sh it was in Russian, but it was basically, you know, turn in your weapons because there were so many weapons after World oh. War One. Well, Stalin had to get rid of weapons. Yeah, well, they first, never, you know, so that obviously happens first. They've given up. They, it's not that they don't, don't still try, but they, I believe they've given up any any kind of reality of getting the guns. Man, they've been trying for a long time. And see, that's the one of those two qualifiers at the end of the third stage before they move to the fourth stage of ultimate takeover. They got to get the guns and they got to get rid of the death penalty. And that period is called the period of escalating violence. And that's exactly where we are. Absolutely, Roger. A uh, thing they did do, though, that is not exactly the direct attack on guns, is they got the ammo. Yeah. Remember, oh. Obama administration armed all the agencies, bought up a bunch of uh, military-style uh, weapons, and tons and tons and tons of ammo doing a direct attack on the quantity of ammo available to those of us who want to guard, protect, and defend, and therefore took it out of circulation and effectively disarmed people because well, just, the guns aren't any good without the bullets. Just another way to accomplish their ultimate goal of disarming you one way or another, or a combination of these effects, lawsuits at gun well, manufacturers, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, there is like, a way. That, like, there's a way they'll get the guns. Yeah, yeah, they can get them one one round at a time, right, Lou? Well, not just that, but uh, look at what look at what they're doing to the food supply right now. Yeah, you know, here, the, here. Uh, the he, old thing about there's nothing more dangerous than a man who can't feed his family. Yep, yep. Well, you know, if a guy's sitting there and he can't feed his family, and they say, "Well, you know, bring us your guns, we'll give you food." But I, listen, I guarantee you that's part of their strategy right here. You'll give up your guns to get some food if you can't get any. You know, when yeah, somebody you know, there's a lot of people who will. Guys will Yeah, but guys will get together instead of giving up their guns if they know where the food's being held and they'll go take it over. Well, I mean, that, you know, Cody, that there, there's all kinds of possibilities, uh, uh, hypothetical situations, and no telling what's going to be out there a few months down the road, in all honesty. He, even more so, project it 18 months down the road. And it may, it may and be something for another. You, Cody. I, I hope that's what will happen. Well, it may be another, they might wait another generation, you know. Uh, no. What's that gal's name? Caitlin Bennett. If you go on band.video and pull up the Caitlin Bennett channel, she's been doing, you know, since the colleges and universities are, are back in school, she's been doing 
a university yeah. tour, and it's right. just amazing the vitriol of these students. I saw her the, at the start of that one yesterday in the screaming match. She see that's the problem. You can't have a discussion with these people. You get into screaming matches with epithets and labels. Nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. They're just screaming something, and it's got an effect. Well, it doesn't even know? make. It doesn't make sense. Why do these students? They're young. You know, it kind of goes back to Nick. Why don't they have a little damn respect? How do they, if they're still in college and still learning, why do they think they know everything? You know, just, you, you, know, you know, let me, you know, I don't know. We had this discussion at lunch yesterday, and, and I've thought about it numer numerous times because I've been living down here for so long and outside of our mores and customs down here in these new customs in different countries, cultures, etc. And there's one thing that I've really noticed over the uh, years, especially in that relationship I was in down there in Argentina, was that these children are not taught to have any respect for their elders. Okay, and that was hammered into me. And I, I brought up the other day my my old friend, been my longest contiguous friend, is a guy I met coming out of the record business. We're still friends. We talk often. And Steve was telling me that his wife's sister's son got in is one of these. Okay, and got into an argument with the grandfather and wrote the grandfather a letter and told him f you to his grandfather. And Steve had to step in because the guy doesn't have a father figure and pull him aside and said, hey, buddy, this doesn't cut it. You know, Roger, this is obviously the agenda of the, call them the dirty people in the sandbox of infiltrating our educational facilities and institutions, taking them over from within so they can feed this Marxist revolutionary terrorist pablum to our young people yep. and basically uh, corrupt a full generation of people and bring up a whole new breed about, of communists uh, uh, that we've uh, never seen before. Uh-uh. How about several generations in a row? Here, here. Yeah, but you gotta you can't take all the responsibility just on that. No, you know we're not putting lazy parents hey, that don't that don't want that don't want to correct their kids. Cody, you know? Cody, we ain't putting all the responsibility on that. We're just saying it's an integral part of this. Remember, these guys yeah. never do anything that accomplishes just one objective. Very, very, very rarely, unless it's something super serious. Everything they plan and execute, these reality-changing efforts of social engineering and such, this a multi-pronged plan with multi-objectives, and they generally accomplish all of them. Well, let me, let me give you an example with my stepson. The, the cops at the school and all were so impressed how, you know, uh, delicate and educated he was. You know, his mom's educated and trained him well. But, you, you know, in a way that's kind of sad. You know, okay, yeah, she's more educated than most people, but why would be, you know, so much different? You know, why aren't all parents educating their, you know, kids to be, you know, decent? And, you know, all the, you know, these kids that when they get pulled over by a cop, they don't even think they have to be decent they, they made been, that comment too you know they, they've been brought up watching all those cartoons i don't know about you guys i don't sit around and watch all these disney cartoons and stuff all the time in my spare time and i don't know exactly what kind of subliminal crap they're pumping into these kids from netflix and their cuties thing where they're pumping child pornography into them uh or all this other stuff that's going on so we don't know the effect of what they've been doing i do yeah. know one thing the guy that runs 
runs Disney. Eisen, I think he's still running the show. These guys are just complete, absolute creeps. You know, they got a hold of Disney for a reason, buddy. Uh-huh. Well, but, yeah. Go ahead, Roger, I was going to tell you, I think part of the reason that I was specifically targeted and picked out like a laser beam was because of I was taking the granddaughter who was homeschooled because she was learning disabled. Uh, she was dyslexic. And we had to get her off and off the planet school and take her home. And she was actually achieving and excelling in very uh, diverse areas. And she was growing and surviving. She wasn't able to do the schoolwork, but she was very articulate. And she spoke in front of the county commissions after I did. I wasn't prompting her to, but she may have been watching and following my lead, perhaps, and others' leads down there because there were women and men both speaking out against the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, so-called, and the corruption of the police. And because of that, I think that was one of the other reasons that I was specifically selected and targeted to eliminate from the planet and had the whole of government attack me because I was being a responsible, it wasn't my granddaughter by blood, but she was my adopted, I'd had her since a year old and then a year and a half, and we raised her up for Christ's sakes. And we had other children in the family that were also becoming very articulate and successful young people, and that scares the hell out of them. Well, anytime somebody, you know, I believe that they know this thing is so fragile and it's built on so many layers of fraud and sand that they're very threatened. And I've noticed that over the years uh, of the way they keep all these lists and stuff. And uh, because they're very afraid of the ants getting together and raising it up because they know how fragile it is. They know how much discontent there is generally out there. Okay, I remember, and I've mentioned the incident back when we were having our CCG meetings. Uh, Brent, yeah, Brent's with us. We moved from a hotel up to a restaurant in around northern uh, North Atlanta there, and it was a cramped little area, and we were in a second floor of a restaurant, and if we could eat, we'd eat dinner there. Uh, they'd give us a room for free, and we'd utilize that. Well, when we had a smoking break and we got out on the balcony, most of the people parked in this parking lot in a little shopping center across the street, and we're out there smoking and looking over there, and we start seeing flashbulbs. Chunk, 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 chunk. And they had like an ADL creep or somebody out there, and they were taking license tag numbers. That, that is not the sign of somebody that is really secure in their position of dominance. To me. Absolutely. Silence the message and the truth. That's what they do. They know this thing's shaky, man, because they, they're the ones that know how many layers of fraud it's built on. They're the ones that really know the game. They know they're the pressers and the hunters, and we're the herd. It's just mostly the herd doesn't know that. So they're scared of it. That's why, again, let me come back. I'll circle back full round. That's why this damn affidavit is so important. Every time they receive one, they know a bunch more people know the whole game. You know, Roger, I'm going to turn off the shower work. I fixed the good evening. I got stuff I got to do this morning. But this is one of the points I'm making in this uh, monstrous case I'm doing as a prosecutor is that because I put in the affidavits, all notarized, 
on all the documents I sent to them on and on, and they never answered, they directly and overtly, in spite of their best attempts, they aided and abetted a non-represented counsel. They committed unlawful uh, practice of law by aiding and abetting myself to make my case because of U.S. versus Twill and Horton R. Pruden, silence is acquiescence. They they admitted my silence by not answering my notary. There's stuff. your there's yeah. your King Henry the Eighth legal canon right there. Absolutely, yep. and it's going to bite him in the butt. All of this yeah, is going to bite him in the butt. It's also in the Georgia codes. Yeah. Do do what, Lou? About the Georgia days. silence that deems consent. Yep, there. That's actually in the Georgia codes. I'm sure it's in every state, but that's the one well, I looked up. And the you know, state of Georgia annotated code says exactly what uh, Cody just, uh, um, whoever it was, just said. Chris. Well, I mean, it's been a pretty well-standing legal canon since Henry VIII pulled it off. Thank God, it's true. Okay. And usually, as I've said, you know, hit me last week one day. They deny everything, don't they? Oh, no, not us, not us. No, 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 I had to put the password in too many times. Wipe the data on 27 phones. Not us, deny, no, no. Man, when you file this paperwork, they just stand mute, buddy. You telling me this isn't powerful? If you, if you got that in the back of your mind that this isn't powerful... You better rethink and look at the examples we've had over a 10-year period. This scares the woo-woo out of these people. They're totally exposed, top to bottom. No defense can they bring to the forefront except trying to fool you again with some kind of word trickery. Here's one parting comment before I get in the shower. This morning on Court News TV, Brianna Taylor, Benjamin Krupp, the racist Divider, though, in chief, it's the approved uh, one of the Bar Association, the SPLC, got her a $12 million settlement for wrongful death. She was the EMT that was broke in, warrantless, uh, murdered by the police. And she is the Benjamin Crump proudly proclaimed that she is the most, biggest settlement a black woman has ever got for wrongful death. <laughs> was that from the cops, well, from the SWAT team or something? Yes. That I, city I know Benjamin was, Crump and his, his cronies quite well. They're from Tallahassee, Florida. S same place that Andrew Gillum, who was the uh, who was the mayor who's you know the who's just come out and and talked about how he he is uh, having a hard time dealing with his bisexuality, who was almost the governor of Florida. That's that's a that's a nasty that's a nasty Florida. Bunch. Yep, you're right. Out of, right out of the capital. Yeah, Tallahassee is a sewer. I, the, you know, people just, are being so damn brainwashed. It's unbelievable. With all accepting all these sodomites to be in positions of power when they're only three percent of the population or so, it's ridiculous. Wait, did you see here? Here, Gavin Newsom's statement yesterday, Cody. That should have brought a a warm cockle to your heart. That just look. No, at, but I. But did, did you see where that transvestite won the uh, preliminary election there and? New Hampshire for sheriff. I mean, he's the de most demonic well, looking weirdo. Well, anyway, now, part, remember he's the only one running too. Okay. Oh, is that what it was? Oh yeah. All right. But the statement from Gavin Newsom was pretty telling yesterday. He said the future of the U.S. Just look at California on fast forward. Now it, that ought to send cold chills up your spine. 
you know, he's probably the Antichrist. What was the story? I didn't, I didn't watch it where Jim Cramer was calling Nancy Pelosi crazy. Was, did he think the camera was off or was he just so offended by what she was saying? I have no idea. I have no idea, but I rarely agree with Jim Cramer, but I do hear. <laughs> did you see what one of her can evidently oh he's in he's just he just uh he just landed he's taxiing up the terminal right now did you see what Na one of nancy pelosi's constituents did i this didn't get much press but i've seen it mentioned already he he, he, he videoed no. himself he went up to her house and dropped his pants and crapped right in her driveway Who did that? One of her constituents. Oh, okay. Couldn't okay. have seen that one. But, you know, I was just thinking it'd be, it'd be so nice if we can get a plane with Biden and Kamala and Pelosi on it and just, you know, make sure it goes down. That'd be nice. Well, we don't want any of our guys flying on that plane. Let's send them up in a drone. You know, it couldn't have happened to a nicer <laughs> girl getting a load dropped in there her you go. driveway. <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would only have been more appropriate, Harvey, if it was when she was at the closed beauty salon getting her hair done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... The timing was off a little. Straight out of hell. <laughs> Yeah. God, she's a bitch, man. I tell you what, that woman's just no, a bitch. No, no, no. She gives. She would get. You're giving bitches a, it's bad, a bad name. name. Yeah, right. Now stop that. Yeah, stop that. I've had a lot of bitches, and they've all been wonderful. Uh, really have been. You didn't get to meet. You didn't get to meet my last one. It was solo with a Malinois. Boy, she was wonderful. Was she a Tunnel Hill girl? <laughs> nope, nope. That was back in Atlanta. And mom kept, kept letting her out. Mom didn't realize, you know, mom, mom was suffering from Biden syndrome. And she didn't remember every day that, that uh, Solo was not supposed to be let out. So she'd open the carport door and. Solo would slip out, go running through the neighborhood, and the neighbors were scared of her. At least a couple of them were, so I just had to, I had to return Solo to, to uh, her earlier owner. Best dog I ever had. Smartest. So, too bad. Yeah. I thought you were talking about but, females. Uh, there at first. No, no, I'm talking. Well, females, yeah. Well, I meant I meant the human uh, variety, are the genome, human genome. Yeah, I've run into a couple of them, but they'd probably have something to say about me too. So, um, I don't know that. The look, that woman has escaped from someplace. You know. She, she ain't right. She eclipses Hillary in many respects. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I said in many yeah, respects. A, I left yeah, myself. That, I mean, that's a toss-up there. I, I left a little wiggle room for myself there. You did. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I'm learning. Daryl, mm -hmm. let's see what Mr. Uh, 
Mr. Pilot, co-pilot has to say, hey, Daryl, morning. Yeah, uh, good morning, everybody. We have a most, uh, we got a great crew here this morning, it sounds like. Solid. All. Solid. Yeah. Um, well, um, I was listening from the beginning here. I just had my power turned back on. It was off for about an hour and a half uh, this morning. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, if you look around the general population, uh, I think it's I think it's important to take a uh, an assessment a uh, of the general population uh, perspective the ones you don't agree with the ones you do agree with the ones that just take an overall general view and uh, the uh, the observation I have is that uh, regrettably. Uh, you know they're they're behind the curve. Uh, they are in uh, in the aviation. In aviation, uh, of course, loser. So he can he can back me up on this. We have a we have this idea, this understanding in aviation when you're when you're flying an aircraft that you don't want to get behind the power curve. And and what that means is. Uh, in order to fly slower and slower, you have to add more power. Now, this sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? In order to fly slower, I have to add more power. That's that's called the backside of the power curve. And it, it requires that you understand certain concepts. Well, these, these inverse concepts are at work mm-hmm. right now. They're at work right now, and unless – now, we may, the, the wees. For, you're forgetting. The, the tyranny of the wees. I'm forgetting. Tell me what I'm forgetting. You're adding drag. That's why it's got more power. So what would be the anal- – it needs more power. So the analogy – what would be the analogy in our political system right now of the drag that's coming? Well, All right, so you're putting your uh, flaps down, so you need more power to. Yeah, well, <clears throat> uh, the the analogy is, is that the, the the analogy is that the the correct responses in the in the situation I was giving have a uh, inverse relationship to what your common sense would tell you. If you if you didn't if you were if you were a car driver driver you would reduce power to slow up so if you try to apply that that line, linear linear logic and thinking to dry flying an aircraft um you, you will get uh, uh indications that initially think that they're working but will ultimately work against you uh i this is this is analogous to uh, people the general population in society thinking they actually know something and are responding to something correctly yep when in fact when in fact since they don't understand have any knowledge or perspective of what's really going on they will ultimately uh just drive it deeper and deeper this is a self this is a vicious cycle where it feeds on itself. And uh, so almost 
<clears throat> so what would be the what's the solution? Of course, so I'm talking conceptually here, and I'm talking to the majority of people, not necessarily you, but for the majority of people, they would have to, by some some divine ability, spontaneously start thinking and doing things that they haven't done before, which would contradict everything they they've they've believed up to this point. Okay. Uh, so we, we have a critical mass of people that, uh, even uh, who are well-intentioned are going to screw it up. Okay. Cause they're behind the power curve. They're, they're in a reactionary mode. Yep. They're in a reactionary mode, not a response mode. And they're reacting to events and not the process. And everybody, uh, all these people, uh, Gab, Twitter, uh, so many, so many people are, are talking and, and communicating in reaction mode. Now, it isn't that they're not identifying important things, but they, they still don't get the, they just still don't understand the concept at work here. Can and, I point out uh, the obvious? Please. Well, that's one of my favorite things to do. Go ahead. Well, You've done a masterful job of somewhat verbosely restating Mark Twain, a.k.a. Samuel Clemens, noted phraseology that it's not what I know that's killing me. It's what I know that ain't so. And the follow up one to that is it's easier to fool a man than tell him he's been fooled. So that. That leaves us, that leaves us, the, 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 the us's, I guess we're at, on this radio call, we're the us's. Uh, that leaves us with this perplexing situation is how do uh, you cause a, a paradigm shift, spontaneous paradigm shift in a critical mass of people. Well, th- that's not really reasonable to think that, that that's going to happen or we can do that. Uh, not, not that we wouldn't try. <laughs> or I wouldn't try, but, or, but that we haven't, that people aren't. Uh, but at some point, you know, numbers count, right? So um, <clears throat> we're living, we're living in the uh, the consequences in the harvest of what uh, George Orwell uh, brilliantly wrote about in uh, 1984, and and uh, he he explained all these processes. He was. He was a prophet, uh, a secular prophet. Uh, I because he had insight. He he knew what the he knew what the deal was. He knew what was going on. Uh, the groundworks, the foundation of the psyop and the cultural subversion, long before uh, any any of us ever did. You know, obviously, of course, he lived before us. But you know, so. The- the situation uh, yeah. I've many uh, the, times. Uh, oh, okay. oh, go ahead, Daryl. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. So lose on, lose on here, lose on here. Harvey's on here. Uh, you know, uh, Tom, Tommy's been here. There's, I've met a lot. I've, I've met. I'm meeting more and more. I've met a lot of people. So, um, of course, I'm not invulnerable by any means, but I'm not behind the power curve. Nope. Why am I way out ahead of this? What, why am I way out ahead of this physically, financially, infrastructurally? Uh, I'll, I'll identify almost any area, and I'm out ahead of this. Why, am I, why is that? Because you're a truth seeker. Uh, of course. Well, yeah, and I pay, 
I pay strict attention my whole life to details and contradictions. I'm a I have a contradiction sniffer. And I learned that from a very early age because uh, if you didn't pay really close attention to details, your your junk, your drunk German stepfather would send you 12 feet across the room with his backhand. Okay, you see what I'm saying here? I learned to pay really close attention to how people talk, how they breathe. I was hyper attentive to my surroundings. And I learned to understand contradictions. Some people say one thing, they do another. Okay. And if you were if you were raised in the Leave it to Beaver house, you didn't get that. Okay. You didn't get that by Father Knows Best and Leave it to Beaver house. Well, I wasn't raised in that. Okay. I learned at an early age that it's a dangerous place and you better learn how to protect yourself. And we have a society of effeminate pansy candy asses that have never had their ass kicked. Listen, I, I don't want to sound like a prick here, but if these if these kids had been my kids or my nephews, they'd have had their ass kicked a long time ago. Yep. All right. So they've they've so so that's part of it. That's part of it. Okay. They've never they've never experienced reality. They've been protected from it. And by the way, culturally, in the United States, in the United States for the last 80 years, 90 years, uh, the country's been protected by, by it, too. This culture, this culture has been protected by it. Uh, from the consequences and living a lifestyle that they couldn't afford. It was cultivated right? in a petri dish from hell. And of, there's, there, of there's a purpose for that. Sure is. Yes, there's a. There's a there's a purpose for for inculcating and manufacturing a situation where people aren't responsible. <clears throat> well, what's that? What's that purpose? It's called dependency. Yeah. And codependency. And uh, uh, and during that process, you're not you're not in a situation where you're actually living in a reality where you have to produce in a, in a viable way. You're always protected. Okay. This is the social, this is what socialism breeds and they understand this generationally. They understand this. I'm talking about some of the larger pictures or the bigger, the bigger idea. Cause these bigger ideas have, have consequences like what we're experiencing now. Sure do. So, yeah. So, uh, George Orwell really nailed it. Uh, you know, there's a couple of famous quotes of his. Uh, he has many others that that are or even even more uh, powerful in some ways, more applicable than um, uh, what uh, you know his his quote about the past, the present, and the future. Here's one. Here's here's a quote from him. It's a very short quote. It's out of his book, uh, A Collection of Essays. He wears a mask, and his face grows to fit it. <laughs> now, that's hmm. that's kind of big. 
Yeah. He's talking about wearing a mask. Uh, you know, he only lived to be 47 years old. And uh, so the reason I'll stop here in a minute. Thank you for giving me a little room here. The reason I'm ahead of this to the extent I can be is that I've been studying history, yep. anthropological and behavioral history my entire life. Yep. I've been studying it, okay, and experiencing it and not having been protected from it, okay? And, and, and people, good people, or, you know, Brett says there are none, okay? But, you know, the average common, everyday, run-of-the-mill, uh, everyday U.S. citizen, man, family, uh, they're out here work. Okay. They don't get it. No. They don't get it. They think they're responsible, but they haven't been. See, this is a problem. They think they have because they were, they were responsible by what they were told they were supposed to be responsible to instead of what they should have been responsible to. And and so now now they're now they're they're in shock, okay? They're they're in shock and they're dependent. And whether you're a Democrat or Republican now, or you identify that way, you're you're in, you're dependent now. You're still dependent on this thing called uh, federal government and the agencies. And why is it somebody doing something? Yeah. Well, that's because since you were irresponsible and thinking you were being responsible. Now you can't hold anybody accountable. And so <clears throat> thank you for letting me go on. But I think so, you, know, you touched there. on a lot of main, really important things. You were t we quoted uh, Mark Twain a minute ago. Let me quote Alice from Alice in Wonderland or the original title, Through the Looking Glass. If I had a world of my own, everything would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. And what it is, it wouldn't be. You see? <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's, that's the inverted world we live in. That's right. And the reason it's that is because it's all built on a dialectical concept. So everything is an opposite, just like you were talking about. The people were doing what they thought they were going to do, but it was what the opposite of what they needed to do. That's the dialectical nature of the whole foundation of the scheme. And that's why understanding that is so damned important when you look at everything. Uh, NDAA came up a minute ago. Chris mentioned it in his uh, uh, what he said a minute ago. NDAA was in 2011. That's the thing that Obama signed on, on December 31st at midnight that made everybody a potential terrorist in the U.S. that could be jailed and named and everything else as long as they were citizens of the United States and residents. And it was about four or five months later, I look at a headline one morning, and Mr. Uh, 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 Lieber, uh, Lieber, Lieber Jew, Super Lieber Jew, had sponsored a bill in the Senate, and it had been co-signed on by Mr. Schumer, that the NDAA should also apply to U.S. nationals. Uh, Roger, there it, is a... It never got another co-sponsor, and it never went anywhere, because they can't do that. Yeah, Chris? 
Well, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, actually comes originally from 10 United States Code 2358, the Strom Thurmond National Defense Old Authorization Strong. Act of 1961. Old and then it was re-upped and stuff like 2011, 2015, and they haven't rescinded it. And basically, it is basically where the homeland security of Shertoff, son of Satan, comes from. And this came from Prescott Bush, yeah. is who the real divisor and maybe some of his entourage of the Kumo. All them, some, all them traitor some bitches are culpable. The, the other general analogy I wanted to make, Daryl, is I've thought of it a couple of times. It's September now. Up in Alaska, this is um, salmon harvest season. Okay, and they go out there in those big boats with those huge schools of salmon, and they use what's called a purse net, and they lay this net all the way around, and then like a purse, exactly like it says, they cinch the bottom, and then they bring in everything they've encompassed by pulling in the top ropes. You've probably seen pictures of that, where they bring those mm -hmm. huge yeah. schools of fish up to the side of the boat. Well, if you'll notice... Some of them flip out over the net right there at the end, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> they get away, okay? The rest of the poor school is going to the cannery, all right? But those fish that had the perception and the opportunity and took the opportunity and took action, all they did, they didn't do too much. All they did is flip their tail. Boop! And they're out to see another salmon season. Same thing yeah. here. Same thing yeah. here, folks. Well, um, you know, I, I sort of hit on the George Orwell uh, uh, idea here. So I, I got a couple little more quickie ones here. And uh, I would highly recommend that people that are listening to here go on to uh, uh, A to Z quotes oh, and good type one, yeah. in the top 25 quotes of uh george orwell and this you know you can do that you don't have to hear me you know, suffer through hearing me read them which uh, nobody wants to do and you could you could read through them and reflect on them but here's a couple that have gotten us gotten us to this point it says here uh journalism is printing what someone else does not want printed everything else is public relations Ask, so ask have you Ju been have, ask Julian Assange? Yeah. Uh, so have have you been reading public and listening to public relations, thinking it was journalism? There's a question. Uh, re notice that I phrased that in a in a, in rhetoric. Okay. I, I have another important piece here. It doesn't matter how how good your language or your grammar is, how accurate your facts are. It doesn't matter. Because people won't respond to that. Uh, you have to, in order to internalize it, you have to use something called rhetoric. And there's been an absolute failure of people who actually know what's going on to use rhetoric. They are unable of asking the question. They can't form the question to communicate to other people. They, they make declarative statements. And they don't ask questions. <clears throat> okay, so the other one is 
another good quote here is one does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. Okay. One makes a revolution in order to establish a dictatorship. <laughs> ding, 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 uh, ding, ding. Daryl. Ding. Yes. If I may, two little oh, points yeah. that you mentioned and kind of glossed over there without fully explaining. Uh, the Law of Rhetoric by Jean Paul Sartre exclusively, and there may be more than one uh, definition for rhetoric, but his specifically said one must lie in order to speak the truth. And also, the doctrine of infra comes into play here, things that are inferred by things that are said but not printed on the page for those who are uh, enlightened and learned to insert because they know what's supposed to be there. And when we talk about public relations, it's actually public sexual relations, mind fornication. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I completely appreciate your, uh, uh, your, your, your amendment, uh, you know, to what I was referring to with rhetoric. And we could take a whole two, heck, we could take a whole week and talk about it. Uh, I just throw this out there because of, uh, I'm triaging information here to a certain degree to to bring into the idea that there's these other components of communication, you know, and I, I kind of hope the people that are listening to this would go to their search engine, their favorite one, you know, web crawler or something like that, and, and try to understand what some of these words mean, you know, and uh, and why they apply. And you're exactly right. Can you know, uh, in the book, The Red Symphony, uh, that I brought out, talked about here about uh, three weeks ago now, which I hope people are, are have acquired and are reading. And when I said that, I said, listen, I'd like to talk about this book, but I don't want to talk about it with me just giving some kind of quasi, you know, lecture. Uh, why don't Why don't you get a hold of this book? And in two months, in two months after you've read it, Maybe we can have a group discussion on here with about, you know, 10 cats and, and talk about these very important principles. Because if you read this book, because it's only 52 pages, if you read that book and you're done in the morning, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. It took me two weeks to read it. I actually looked at it okay. last night. Darryl. That's um, Yeah. If you don't, if you don't, if you do, if you read it in, in one day, you don't get it. Okay. And, and, and I want, because contained in that little book is the template of, of deep understanding of what dialectic is and, and, and actual dialectics inside of dialectics. Ooh, that's, that's how powerful. good it's powerful. This stuff. is how good these, these this guys, is how good this is. They swing, they, they right. use it like Excalibur and man, they swing it. Well, I wanted to ask oh. Chris address something he was saying about mine, us being mind fornicated. <clears throat> Didn't you mention that Chris? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I most certainly did. Well, I wanted to ask you a question. Was it as unsatisfying for you as it was for me? <laughs> Absolutely. I had a hangover in the morning. Yeah. Well, that, that came with, that reminds me of something. Uh, you know, Jimmy's here, and we went over Jimmy. to his building yesterday. and yeah, we, we went out to an Italian restaurant last night, had a wonderful meal, <clears throat> and a uh, great time. 
and uh, he's, he'll be here for a couple more days. Anyway, we're walking down the main street in Gadsden last night, and and he he mentioned something. And I said, well, yeah, I came up with a new word today. I told him, I said, I came up with a new word today. And uh, he says, what's that? And I said, well, propagandologist, a propagandologist. Ooh. And he goes, well, what's that? And I says, that's somebody, that's somebody who takes their opinion and shoves it up your <coughs> barracks bag. Yeah, and that's that's what's you know uh, that's tell that's, uh, in that's the middle very imaginative in the, in the in the middle of Hurricane <laughs> Sally. Please welcome Jimmy to Alabama. <laughs> tell him it's akin to La Nina. <laughs> <clears throat> well, listen. For all you people out there that think that you got to be a big guy to be a force of nature, it's not true. He's about five foot three, 125 pounds, and is capable of leaping tall buildings. So in a single uh, bound, he's wow. Uh, he's just uh, just a ball of energy, actually. And uh, so I, it's I not, it's what, what's the he, old, he brought. What's yeah. the, it's not the size of the the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah. Yeah. So just one just one last George Orwell here, and I, I saved the most uh, common one for last year. George Orwell, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. I can never remember this thing in the right order. I actually have to read it. Well, but so let's go through it and, and decode it. Who controls the past? History. Okay, so who controlling the past? Well, they're controlling the past is the history. So who controls the history? Controls the future. What will be? Who controls the present? Control. Who, who controls the present? This is your reality. This is your media. This is your public relations. This is what you're getting off of wherever you're getting it. That's controlling the present. They will control the past because the past is in the present. Now, what do I mean by that? You're living, you're living in history right now. You're not in the, you're not in the present. You're living in history because they're rewriting the present reality. Uh, and this goes to um, what the media does, the propagandologists do every day. Uh, this is this is. Uh, I'll give you the the most uh, illustrative expression of that. Tearing down the statues <clears throat> is controlling the present. Okay, this 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 is why it's so important. Is these aren't things that are happening. Um, uh, in a in a vacuum, they they actually have the, having real consequences in the moment. So the present is actually uh, the 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 past. They're rewriting rewriting history. Of course, if this socialistic, communistic, tyrannary, uh, t- tyrannical police state through technocracy actually comes to reality in its full bloom, its full decadence comes to fruition you can you can only imagine the history that they would write would be similar to the history that the historians 
of the USSR wrote after the Bolshevik Revolution and what a grand and wonderful uh, event this Bolshevik Revolution was. They, they want to write that history, and they want guys like us dead. Dead. You can see okay. the the, like, the, the yep. present-day reality of it. A couple of things is, you know, remember Carl Rove's statement, we make our own reality? And, uh, and he, you're seeing in yeah, these, he had reason to say that these yeah. Confucius yeah. institutes that have permeated the educational system through the universities. And I forget how many of them there are. I think there's, I think they've closed about 25 of them in the last recent, but there's still about 78 of them around the country. And I'm getting feedback. Harv, I've got some feedback there. Okay, good. Thanks. Um, that's, Those that's have infiltrated over 20 years all the schools all the way down to kindergarten, and they're teaching them this new Chinese history, which they're never exposed to Tiananmen Square in any of that organization from top to bottom. They're rewriting Chinese history and teaching it to our kids as young as first yeah. grade and kindergarten. Absolutely. All right, a, let me buddy, offer a different yeah, interpretation hey, hey, of what Orwell, Orwell said, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. I would look at that a bit differently. I would say <clears throat> that what he's saying is whoever's in power today writes history yep. the way they want, right. controls the past. Right. And yeah. whoever controls the past, of course, controls the future. And we've seen that in our lifetime that, uh, you know, just what you're talking about with Tiananmen Square and so many other things. Uh, that was, um, oh, what was his name? Claiborne. Uh, oh, I've, I've, I've quoted that before. Uh here oh yeah we did yeah about the about he was the southern general that was a great quote there's a couple other ones that are notable the first one i think most people are exposed to was by a spanish philosopher named jorge george you'd say in english jorge santiana and he said those who don't learn their lessons from history are destined to repeat them jefferson had a comment on it and he said i know no surer way of predicting the future than studying the past of course, the Orwell quote, which we've been kicking around here, and then the one yeah, that you may not. Is- well, let me give the last one, Harvey, because you may not know this. This yeah, one was attributed to that great scholar, John W. Benson. And he said, those who, do, oh, yes. those who do learn their lessons from history can repeat it over those who don't in half the time. <laughs> Now, Harvey, having a personal relationship with John, really appreciates that. I mean, that is witty. That is witty. Uh, It it is, but it's true. But really, if you understand history, all you're doing is studying human nature. And human nature is immutable. Yep. It just happened over and over and over because we're still human. That's right. I mean, listen, we're kicking around stuff now that they were kicking around between Athens and Sparta. That's right. 
That's right. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's 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 kind of a profound statement, and that that should provide context for uh, <clears throat> why we uh, why we're talking about it. So when they're controlling history, when they're controlling the past, they're controlling the pretext for what they what they're what they why they do what they're doing in the present. There's a pretext that they have to have. They they recognize that they have to have this pretext. All right, and. Uh, he has one other little quote here that I think applies to this very moment that we're, we're watching and experience, we're living through at this very moment today. He says, at any given moment, there is an orthodoxy. Is that synonymous of dogma? Dogma yep. and orthodoxy? Yep. There is an orthodoxy a body of ideas which it is assumed that all right-thinking people yeah. will accept right. social media yeah. without question, <clears throat> that all right-thinking people will accept without question. Anyone who challenges the prevailing orthodoxy finds himself silenced with surprising effectiveness. Canceled. A genuinely... A genuinely unfashionable opinion is almost never given a fair hearing, either in the popular press or in the highbrow periodicals. And I would go on to say in in the peerage. And so what you see with these people wearing masks where there is no call for it at all, none of it, it's, it's all fraud. You're, you're, what you're seeing isn't communism and socialism what you're seeing and they have it named it and uh, i think i've come up with another word for it maybe this word already exists i don't know but i i'm calling it peerism social ostracism peerism. social <clears throat> ostracism and <clears throat> remember when Solzh you said solzhenitsyn and uh, chris or or you somebody this morning was talking about solzhenitsyn and if they had only uh, uh, attacked these guys when they came up the stairways, all right, understand that those people that were coming up those air stairways and dragging those people off were their peers. They were your friends, family, relatives, and neighbors. They were your peers. Lenin and Trotsky didn't go out on midnight raids. You get it? Now, this is why it's so important to have a really, really honest and accurate conversation about police and police force as the instruments and actuators and tools of power that's uh, uh, be abusing. Uh, it, it's look how many th these years. people look how many th years. these people. They've yeah. been taking right. forces yeah. from the U.S. and sending them and training them in Israel. Did you know that New York City had a branch of the Israeli police office open? Say it again. Roger. They had an office of the Israeli police open in New York City years ago. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, for those who are interested in this sort of thing, there's a particular article running on Court TV today on police abuse and the enlarged settlements that police places around the country are having to pay today. And in fact, this morning there was one in Phoenix, I think it's Phoenix, Arizona, 
uh, uh, Pinal County for sure, where a dog handler sicked his dog on a guy that was complying and obeying his orders without any provocation. And there's quite a kerfuffle. The uh, county, the mayor or the governor were talking about it this morning. Uh, there's an investigation ongoing. And this rise of the warrior cop is very dangerous to America because they're really militant revolutionary terrorists masquerading as public servants and oppressing the people under their tyrannical abuse of this Bolshevik revolution that we're on the cusp of. They've infiltrated all institutions. You know, they called it the long march through the institutions. They've been after the police for years. Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center and all that bunch has been up to their eyeballs with all these local police officials for over 25 years, as long as I've been in this. Well, I've been asking right. a question from time to time uh, of people for a long, long time, you know, 20 years at least. And that the question is this. Have you ever known a police officer that refused an order because it was unconstitutional? Yes. Really? Jack McLam. Oh, Okay. Richard Mack and Prince V. Yep, uh, him, him too. Well, he, yeah. he was, yeah. They he were was, sheriffs, weren't they? Yes, yeah. Mack was, yeah. And uh, McClam was a, de he was just a sheriff's deputy. He wasn't a sheriff. Mack was? Mack was the sheriff in a small south uh, New Mexico county, and he's the one that challenged the Brady yep. Act and took it all the way to the Supreme Court on gun issue and won his case. He's out there running sheriffs. There's two groups, I think, now, that used to be, maybe they've combined, of all of these sheriffs around the country that want to be constitutional sheriffs. And Richard Mack heads one of those groups he has for years. Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. Yeah, something I don't know what the name is, but. Good guy. I met him and his wife, had dinner with him numerous times in the expo years, and he's a, he's a great guy. Curiously, I was at the founding meeting of the Oath Keepers here that had Richard Mack and several other auspicious. Uh, there was a fellow named Garrett who was the Patriot Preacher at that seminal event. Okay. Been a lot of fine anyway, Patriots so have gone along the way. There's a distinction. Right? Yeah, go ahead, Daryl. Right, I'm right, sorry. There's a, there's a distinction between police officers and sheriffs. These these are they're they're not the same. No, they're not. Okay, now sheriff a sheriff doesn't take his take his due and his direction from the corporate officer of your municipality, the mayor, the chief executive officer, the and and for example, if we use Kenosha, the cops in Kenosha were given executive orders from their corporate offices to stand down. Okay. Now, if sheriffs, sheriffs wouldn't take corporate orders to stand down. If I might correct right. your perception deception there, Mr. Darrell, the sheriffs have all been undermined and seditiously taken over and placed in the roles of administrative directors and seized by the terms of the contract for payment by the county commissions or councils that hire them and convert them from the people's elected representatives 
to subject to the county commission or subject to the city council language in the contract. And this is how they've undermined the power of the sheriff in most cases. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I I, uh, I think you explained that really well, but the uh, it's not a perception deception on the part of me trying to deceive people and what the azure no, no. authority and power, the azure power and authority of a azure sheriff is. And uh, has it been subverted? Well, well, yes. Okay, no surprise there. I didn't mean to imply that you <laughs> yeah. were being deceitful. I'm implying yeah. the sheriffs and the council people. This is what the problem is. In fact, this this case up in uh, Michigan with Brianna Taylor is a perfect example. They're charging the police. The police aren't responsible. The failure of the administrators to properly devise policies and to guide those people and explicitly tell them how they're supposed to act within law instead of becoming outlaws and murderous terrorists needs to be drawn a clear red line in the sand and hold them accountable for the actions of their employee. The period so it's of the escalating yeah. violence. Yeah. So it's the mayors and the city council and the administrators and the chief operating officers yes. that are giving decrees, orders, arbitrary decrees and orders to, uh, I'm going to identify them as tools. The tools the tools don't enforce any law. When? Okay, they're not there to protect anybody. They don't enforce any law. They are useful idiots. They've okay? been put in there, and you can see it around the country. They're targeted attorney generals and prosecutors, like Kim Fox, that chick in St. Louis, with the debacle yeah. there. And they've not only not enforced uh, onerous laws against obvious crimes, but if those people were arrested, they turned them around without bail and stuck them back out on the street. I noticed Dennis has joined so us. He must have heard the word Kenosha. Here's the yeah. Well, they put them here's back the dialectic. Out on the they put them back out on the streets because good protesters are hard to find, Roger. <laughs> well, you got to understand that. They, <laughs> you know, peaceful protesters are a rare breed. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, here's here's the dialectic though here's the dialectic the dialectic is if somebody was to hear me condemning police law enforcement actions and condemning it which i do they would then in their mind the general population you know the good law-abiding tax-paying citizen would say oh you must be a blm antifa supporter daryl well nothing could be further from the truth Okay, this is how the dialectic mind works uh, when you've been trained and programmed into it. Oh, you don't agree with me that you should have respect and appreciation and all this, these other flowery terms for law enforcement. Well, no, I don't. Okay. Oh, well, then you must be an anarchist. No. Yes, no, I I'm am. not that either. <laughs> well, uh, they said any. I said antichrist. Oh, okay. I said anarchist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I'm, uh, uh, there's this other thing over here called uh, 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 law and law of the land. You know, I, I'm one of those. Oh, well, I, I don't know anything about that, so go away. Okay. Uh, it either has to be this or this. Okay. That's, this is how the dialectic is played in the general population's perspective. Okay. So uh, people that 
uh, I would want to help or be support or have us be a part of uh, actually would see perceive me and some of the things that I say as an enemy. Okay, well, well, so be it. But that's that's how you that's how you split people uh, minds off this, uh, make them ineffective. All right, so the sheriffs the sheriffs need yeah well yeah go ahead go ahead as Harvey. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, could I ask Roger uh, to comment on an earlier topic? I know Roger hates to talk about this, but <clears throat> it's about citizenship. Uh, Roger, have you ever uh, come across the quote by H.L. Mencken about the Civil War? I don't know that I have. I have run across a number of Mencken quotes. I've always really liked his style and the way he did things, but I don't know about oh, that one boy. particularly. All right. Well, this is this is what it, the, the one that that I've got in the collection is uh, the American people, North and South, went into the Civil War as citizens of their respective states. They came out as subjects. And what they thus lost, they have never gotten back. And was that guy f perceptive? Yeah, 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 very, what? except, you know, he didn't know the greater part of the scheme, obviously. But, you know, there was a number of decades there where the Jim Crow laws were in effect. And it was pretty, pretty plainly differentiated, I would assume, in those times when you had those separate facilities. For the for the political now look they weren't the separate facilities for color they were the separate facilities for political status. Wait a minute, say, explain that. I, I didn't, yeah, at that point they were all black, but what what was the separate facilities for? It was because of political status. I think Harvey's question is meritorious, and my observation is. Before, they were citizens of the several sovereign states. Once the Civil War occurred, they all became subjects of the corp, the federal corporation that was reinstalled and overlaid to deceive the people, and the states were made subject to the power of I, Congress, and the people were. And I agree with that, Chris. You know, I'm just saying, but there was still a clear differentiation between the ethnicities. The political status. Well, and the yeah, reason I say that, Harvey, is because of the thumbnail of Plessy, separate but equal. Yeah, but no, that's not what he's talking about. Yeah, I understand that. He's talking about we lost our state citizenship and became federal citizens, and what we thus lost, we've never gotten back. But they're... But if you go back to the old cases, you know, from Slaughterhouse to Elk versus Wilkins, and in those cases, they clearly talk about state citizenship. Okay. I mean, it's in in there prominently, you know. Well, Roger, I I think Harvey's making a point here with H. L. Minkins. Yeah, you no, know, I and I agree uh, on the overall. Can't be denied. We're just kind of going back well, the because point, we've yeah. got a lot of well, knowledge the, and we can nitpick some of this stuff too. Uh, we we can we can, but but here's here's the but there is a but there. The but is how do we? You could take H. L. Minkins' quote and and put it in context to the general 
population's mind sure. of this of this a perspective that that even existed. This is this what H. L. Mencken is talking about that Harvey brings up in this quote is not even in the uh, range of possibility of thought to even ask the question of in in your neighbor's mind. They they don't even that's not even a consideration. Uh, let alone talking about court cases. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like we was talking with uh, Don Cody the other day. You know, you you have to ask him the first question first, not the not the uh, not the tenth question. And uh, I, that's I I find that a very powerful powerful quote. Oh, you know, the, here's another on this uh, subject of approaching people with the dialectic. This uh, I thought of another good one hit me the other night. If you're talking with somebody and you get into this discussion, do you get your rights from God or do you get your rights from the government? Well, that that, that hurts. It hurts if you're a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, that would hurt. Okay. Well, hopefully it'll make people start thinking. That's the idea behind it. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, that's a great Roger. Yeah. Roger. Yeah, Lou. Uh you mentioned, if, if I heard you correctly, that Mencken obviously didn't know what he was saying when you're talking about that, that uh, quote that Harvey brought up. He also said that equality before the law is probably forever unattainable. It is a noble idea, but it can never be realized. For what men value in this world is not right but privilege. Hey, that's I think he did understand what he said. and I, I, think, it's, I think it's a very valid to, to, to your, your, your platform. Well, I, my opinion. I, I agree with the overall quote. You know, it's just like we know some of the technicalities and some of the history in there. When Minkin was lived in the, what, 30s, Harvey? Didn't he write? Yeah, I think so. No. 20s or 30s, uh, one of the two. Yeah. Maybe both, actually. Yeah. Born so, 1880, died 1956. Okay. And, uh, uh, and that was a period of time when there's a lot of upheaval, a lot of big things were changing in those times too. But the man was a genius and his, his artistry with words and thoughts and concepts was just masterful. H.L. Mencken, if any of you don't know who this guy was, he was a reporter for the Baltimore Sun, if I remember correctly. That's right. Profound thinker. You know, I remember I read a bit on him a number of years ago, and somebody, he was kind of a private guy, and somebody was watching him write one day. Harvey, you, this reminds me of you. And they said they, they were sneaking around the corner, and he'd always write alone, you know. And he had his typewriter there, and he was writing something, and he said he'd stop, and he'd just start laughing his butt off and slapping his knee. <laughs> <laughs> hey roger yeah hey finally <laughs> hey sarge I'm a little a little late but i i was responding to uh harvey's question about uh police officers refusing to obey an unconstitutional order yep. and uh yours truly was um was well not even close to being fired but they tried to <clears throat> i had a guy working for me who was going through some really rough times and uh, let him stay in my extra bedroom. And uh, <clears throat> that's Jethro here snorting at me. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
he ended up uh, having some psychological issues and went to a mental hospital and that kind of stuff. And, of course, you know, they had to tell the department, and he got some time off with pay and that kind of thing, administrative leave. And, of course, I come, I come into work that night, and here's my lieutenant saying, I want all of his guns turned in by 8 o'clock in the morning uh, or you're in trouble. <laughs> and uh, I said, put that order in writing for me, please. And um, so, you know, and he had already turned in his department-issued guns, and he had already handed me his, he only had one, and he handed it to me, and I had it locked in my safe, and no one could ha- get access to it but me. And uh, <clears throat> so I went in that night, and of course, you know, have those, have his guns turned in by 8 in the morning, or you're going to be charged with insubordination, and we'll recommend termination. And I said, real short, you know, real dip- diplomatic answer. No. (laughs) And uh, they, of course, then wrote me up and charged me with insubordination. And I went through the whole process and said, look, you know, you you have every right to require the department-issued firearms, but you have no right whatsoever to request his or demand his personally owned firearms. Uh, I already explained to you that they're locked up and he doesn't have access to them. He will not have access to them until he's cleared by a physician and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I said, you're violating his rights and mine uh, by this unlawful action. And it went through the whole thing. And, it, you know, once it got outside the department, uh, got to the mayor's office, the mayor laughed, looked at it and laughed and, <laughs> and shot it down, ruled in my favor, and basically slapped the lieutenant upside the head. But, um, you know, I had those kind of things. I dealt with that stuff for 14 out of 16 years. And... Uh, also, I had guys that you know would work for me on shift trades, where one of my guys and somebody else would trade to work different shifts so they could have time off when they wanted it. And I had a guy that was a real hot dogger uh, in the drug interdiction stuff. And one night he was working for me and stopped a couple of uh, black girls in a car and wanted to search their car and all this stuff. And I, I was backing him up. And I was watching the whole thing, and they were, you know, obviously did not want him going through their car. And uh, I finally, after after he'd been browbeating them for a while, I walked over and I said, ladies, I want you to understand something. If uh, the stop is over with, he's basically completed whatever he was going to do as far as your traffic violation. I said, if you do not want him to go through your car, all you have to do is say so right now. We don't want him going through our car. I said, thank you, ladies. Have a nice evening. You may leave. And then I chewed him out. I said, don't ever pull that crap on my shift again. I said, you know, they, they were probably hauling drugs, too. But the fact is, he was violating their rights, and I'm not going to stand for that stuff. You're not going to, you know, abuse citizens. Even if they may be criminals, you're not going to do it on my shift. You know, well, we'll yeah, Jethro agrees. We'll weed, we'll weed <laughs> cops like you out of the system real quick. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, they were, uh, you know, they were pushing. Oh, all right, Jethro. <laughs> Jethro agrees. Um, yeah, he's, he agrees. He's a, uh, <laughs> he's a, you tell him, Dad. Uh, I was actually well, sitting in on, they were, they were hiring. Oh, Jethro, stop it. Welcome. That's enough. We welcome, <laughs> welcome back to Green Acres. Yeah, we were just out to the barn and everything. But uh, I was, I was sitting in on a um, deal where they were considering hiring a guy and, they were. They asked, They came out and asked me. and says, uh, "What do you think about requiring a, a college degree in order to hire somebody?" I said, "Absolutely not." I said, "We've had PhDs working here that couldn't even tie their own shoes. 
I said, give me somebody who's got prior military experience or, you know, a good college educated or high school educated person with work experience any day over somebody with a college degree. I said, you know, I wipe my butt with college degrees. <laughs> of course, they didn't like that because the chief, everybody in the room had a college degree but me. <laughs> and I didn't. I, Say, Jim. Yeah, go ahead. Say, um, regarding civil asset forfeiture, so oh, man, did they tolerate this hot, this hot dogger because he, he brought in so much money? And then, then the next question is, is what was the Ohio policy? How... How did they handle all, all the, the civil assets? What's your, your personal well, experience with that? Basically, he was doing what he was doing because he learned it at the Highway Patrol Academy. And he, he, did, he made a lot of drug arrests, but a lot of them, you know, if you really looked at things, were probably uh, uh, tainted because of a, a bad search where he basically, you know, coerced somebody into letting them go through their car when they didn't have any authority to do so. That was one of the big problems. And the... Um, the state made it very clear based on, you know, Supreme Court opinions and everything else. I said, you have got to tell these people that they are done with the stop, they're free to go, and then at that time you can say, by the way, do you have any, or do you mind if I look through your car for drugs or, or stuff like that? Isn't that referred and, to as a Terry stop? No, Terry is a stop and frisk. That's a totally different thing where okay. basically if they see somebody who doesn't fit in the community or something, they're looking strange, like they're walking back and forth outside a bank. Um, and that's case law that came out of the East Cleveland area, which a lot of case law comes out of the Northeast Ohio area because they're like Gestapo up there. But um, the uh, the state actually did a good job of treat, take, teaching people. It's, it's the guys that just went off half-cocked and wanted to go after everything that even might be carrying drugs. That was the big problem. The civil asset forfeiture seizure I just hated from the from the get go. I remember when they first started that stuff, and one of my one of our guys was put in charge of he did he handled all of it. And I was talking to him one day and you know asking questions about it, and I said, "Man, that is flat out unconstitutional. I don't care how you put it. I didn't want anything to do with it." But we had we had a dare, uh, you know, the drug abuse and resistance education program. We had a, uh, a Mustang uh, high uh, HO high output Mustang that uh, they got from somebody as a, you know, Caesar, and uh, of course they set it up as a drug car and you know had dare on the side and all this other crap. And but it was uh, I did not care for it, and it was you know to my in my opinion it's just totally BS. <laughs> Uh, never had anything to do with it. I was far as far away from that as I could get. When the yeah. FBI came into town, I'd ask him, I said, where are you guys working at? Why do you want to know? I said, so I can get as far away from you as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all, man, you know, if you go back to Cleon Skousen, I don't know how many of you that rings a bell with, some of you, who was one of the Mormon guys. He was the head of the FBI under uh, uh, or in charge of the FBI over under Hoover when it first started something. He was involved uh. with the FBI after it first started, right? Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book. He wrote a number of books, and I, don't, and I don't remember the title of it, but he had a list of 50 things that the communists wanted to do to t accomplish to take over the country. It was published in the congressional record by some congressman, but one of them was one of the top ones was take over the FBI. Man, they did that a long time ago. Just oh, look yeah. at look recently during this COVID crap when that, had, when that Jesse, not Smollett from Chicago, the NASCAR driver, when he said, yeah. oh, this news, they had 21 FBI agents down there, something like that, overnight to go check 15. out this hoax. Yeah. 
Okay. Yep. And look yeah, what happened uh, to Rod. What what happened to Roger Stone? That I was reading the other day oh, about yeah. Florida. Florida executed two criminals last year. And the overriding cost for the death penalty apparatus for the state was $51 million. It cost them $25 million to execute those guys apiece. There is a blowback uh, opposing this uh, negative asset forfeiture, this theft by policy men under the guise of law enforcement uh, in Tyler Timms versus Indiana. And they particularly said that you cannot seize assets that are far in excess of the value of what the alleged violation or crime or fine is. But this is really, really a very uh, sticky point that the pendulum has to go back the other way well, if we're going to return to liberty because it's a First Amendment and a Fourth Amendment violation uh, and a takings under the Fifth Amendment violation without just compensation. What about the guy that's driving a truck down, t- carrying cash to go buy plants in South Florida so he can come back up and sell them in the Memphis area? And he gets caught on the way down with all that cash, and the drug dogs can smell, believe it or not, cocaine on cash, and they confiscate the cash. Drug dogs can smell cocaine on anything they're taught they're told to smell cocaine on uh i was mentioning to my nephew who is a criminal defense attorney uh about visiting a certain uh friend who trains dogs for police work and he said oh really does he train them for false positives Uh, nobody knows, you know, you can train a dog to, to, uh, give a false positive by giving him a signal that nobody else understands. Yeah, true. Um, I, I, I had a mal, you know, my, my Malinois bitch I had a few years back. I could make her start barking just by moving my hand like like a mouth you know what you would do with uh, making shadows on the wall uh my thumb against my forefinger i could do it just very slightly she'd start barking like crazy nobody nobody had noticed that it's just maybe they should pay a penalty maybe they should pay a penalty when they don't find anything and they claim that the dog indicated because i mean isn't that kind of a fourth or fifth amendment violation when you're using an animal that's reporting on a human it doesn't doesn't really seem equitable that we're trusting a dog to make a decision to violate somebody's rights well i don't remember which court it was whether it was uh i just don't remember where but a recent decision uh at an appellate level somewhere said there's no objective test for whether these dogs have been uh, are, are properly trained for this they when they're trained they always have a drug out there to find anyhow uh it was the whole idea of using the dog as a reliable indicator uh 
it was just thrown out of court. Cody, when yeah, they let were me, let me when they're, when they're violating that. Cody, when they're All violating right. those rights, were they violating their federal given rights or their God given rights? Yes. <laughs> yeah. or, and why well, I, I I had seen a video of a oh, this is several years ago of a a decent he looked like a decent black kid there and he got pulled over and in uh, Kentucky Louisville area you know I think he turned wrong or whatever and so they called the drug task force and all and he had called his parents in the meantime so they were able to observe what was happening they were giving the cops hell that he was an honor student all this stuff and you know, they claim that the dog indicated, and by the time they went through the car, they didn't find nothing, you know. So it's it, it's obviously abusing people, and I don't, I don't know why we should let a beast be making a decision on uh, on human rights like let that. Me, uh, let me jump in there. Ooh, human just for rights. Fun of it. Human rights. Having having worked with uh, with canine units for a number of years on my during while I was on the police department, you're right. Uh, Harvey, you're right. You know, you can train a dog to do something like that without any problem. The question is, it's up to the officers and the people training them. Uh, our dogs were trained for uh, search and uh, protection and drugs. And I never one time saw our drug our dog hit on something when there weren't drugs there. Uh, well, and that's, that's that's the only thing you can go by. Yeah, uh, that, is actual experience. Great, that is a great testimony. Yeah, that's the only thing I can say, but I'm, I'm, I, I fully agree with you. There are guys out there that are looking for reasons to search, and they will do stuff like you're talking about to do it. Thank God we never did that on my department. It was Jim, just me and one other guy that handled the dog, and we would never believe a dream of doing something like well, that. Jim, they didn't send you, you know to Israel for training, did they? What's that? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't send you to Israel for training, did they? Uh, absolutely not. Okay, good. <laughs> just checking, just checking. And Trevor Aronson's a terror factory. He talks about when Mueller was the head of the FBI, and they brought in Phil Mudd from over at the, I think it was the CNI, CIA, or it might have been DNI, but he brought in the dark side to the FBI, basically assimilating the FBI with the CIA, uh, making them uh, illicit force, basically using clandestine investigative techniques, which are completely outside scope and sphere and color of law because it's involved in espionage and counterterrorism investigation and counterinsurgency operations, special operations are running here in America. Yep. It's ugly, folks. Come yep. out of her. You can come out of it. You can be the fish that flips out of the net. You know, when it, when it well, comes to law enforcement, it's all about the the individuals involved. <clears throat> you've got good people, you got yeah. bad people. That's what it boils down to. You, you know, one of and the things you that weed the bad people out. That's uh, the key. Guy that's coming to the forefront a lot politically. I've seen a bunch lately, and I kind of like him. Is this guy Senator Cotton from Arkansas? Have y'all seen yeah, him? Tom yeah, Cotton. Yeah, he's, he's pretty sharp. Guy. He wants to bring in some of this. He says, you know, we got a problem with the police departments, and we need to bring in some of these things. And one of the things he suggested was being able to follow a bad officer. Yeah. Evidently, they yeah, don't they have anything like that. They get a job with no problem. Right. Because the departments are afraid to put anything bad because they think they might get sued. And that's the problem. You know, I was involved with something like that. We had a guy that used to live next to me and worked in a uh, – an adjoining community 
and he was applying for our department. And I knew stuff from both when he lived next to me and what I had heard from other officers on that department. And they called me in and asked if, you know, what I thought about hiring. I said, absolutely not. He's bad news. He's a lawsuit waiting to happen. And uh, luckily they, they listened. But, um, you know, that's the thing. You, you got to make sure that people do what's right. Well, let and, me, let me give know. another example, Jim. This guy just got convicted. Was that big mass murderer out in California that they never could find? And the reason they never could find him was because he was a cop and he knew what the cops the cop. would look for and <laughs> set the whole scene up every time. Oh, you know how they found him? No. Gene genealogical stuff. Some old detective went back and started compiling all that stuff and they ran it through one of these genealogical websites and they uh. could geologically track the people that got hits on that combination of genes and they isolated his house and went and arrested his ass after all those years and all those murders. They well, they isolate the family. So somebody in the family took a gene test and then it was on one of those sites, and then they were able to backtrack to figure that, out who it was. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. how it happened. Yeah. We had a guy in our department that was a peeping Tom. I mean, uh, when, I was, when I was first going through training, I rode with him one night and saw what he was doing. He had a big old set of uh, 7 by 50 binoculars in his, his truck that he drove around with and told, you know, flat out told me, yeah, that's where you can go if you want to see some women undressing. You gotta be kidding me! And I, at the time, you know, being a rookie, I kind of blew it off. But you know, I never saw him actually do it. He just talked about it. But then a few years later, I had somebody in the community complain. They had looked out their windows. A woman, she was undressing. She looked out her window and saw him sitting out there. And she told me about it. And I, from that point on, I followed him around and got enough that I knew that she was telling the truth. And then I put the word out to the brass. And within a week, they caught him and fired him. Um, but you know, that's the kind of thing. If the police don't police themselves, they're asking for trouble. Yep. You've got to get rid you know, there, nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. And, you know, thank goodness my department, most of them were decent cops. There were a few that, you know, well, again, everybody knew about and you couldn't get rid of. Sometimes. Again, as we were, as we were talking about earlier, this goes back to Sparta and Athens and human nature. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, but we've got to police our own or we're going to end up with problems like we've got now. Jim, That's all there is to it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, you know, Deuteronomy 19 verses 15 through 19 says essentially uh, that one witness is no witness, uh, that you, you're not allowed to testify in an, in a, uh, in a, basically, the in voice a of two crime. to three. Pardon. The basically, it take you know two to three is the testimony kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that that's is said several times uh, mm -hmm. in scripture that yeah, got, old and new. Yeah. Upon uh, uh, at at the mouths of two or three witnesses shall the matter be established. But right. But it also says that. Anyone who testifies falsely against another, bears false witness, right. would, if discovered, would be subject to whatever penalties he would mm -hmm. have had done to the other person. Right. And 
if that were enacted into the statutes at the state and federal level so that anyone who suborned perjury, mm-hmm. who uh, uh, that would include judges, prosecutors, yeah. uh, everybody that had anything to do uh, with swearing falsely, tolerating it, or soliciting it, enabling it, anything of that sort, that they would be subject to whatever penalties the other person had been subjected to. Mm -hmm. And I think that would stop an awful lot of misconduct by, by police officers. I would go a step further and say I would make it even more even worse than what the regular penalty was. Amen. Because we need to hold these people to a higher standard. It, and it, uh, It'd stop know. Andrew Weissman in his tracks, wouldn't it? <laughs> you would hope. You never know for sure. But, you know, so many of these people, they think they're smarter than everybody else. They think they can get away with it, and they don't really worry. But you've got to have teeth in the law to deal with the people when you do catch them. You know, that's what they're doing with these, um, like the, the people that either the, the hate crimes where – uh, so-and-so says that so-and-so attacked me because of my color, and it was right. all BS. They should get the same thing. Absolutely. Or the woman that uh, accuses somebody of raping her when it wasn't the case. Yep. Uh, they should get the same penalty. Yep. But as far as law enforcement and government, I think the penalty should be even more so. Uh, because Violating oath of yeah, office. Yeah, you're, vi- you're violating your oath of office, and you're violating the public trust. And that's something that we should hold far more dear than we do. Yep. Well, you can see I think the, the corruption implies that. You can see the corruptness of the judiciary. Why? What's happened to oh, Michael yeah. Flynn? Mm-hmm. I mean, if that isn't blatant, absolute, total judicial corruption, you, 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 yeah, you identify and it for and, me. Uh, and uh, and uh, what's his name? Um, oh shoot, Alex Jones's buddy and President Trump's buddy. Oh, uh, Stone. Stone. Uh huh. Yeah, Stone yeah. too. But Flynn. <laughs> But Roger, Flynn Roger, really got but and what, he's still going through it. The judge in the Flynn yeah. case turned into the prosecutor. Somebody needs to charge that that judge with practicing Sullivan. law from the bench. Sullivan, and it reminds yeah. me of John's question in the seminars, sir. Are you an independent trier of facts, or yeah. are you a party to this action? Exactly. You know, they, they, he should stand mute on everything. He's the judge. He's no prosecutor. Court, he can't know, the, go hire a retired. jerked a knot in his butt in a heartbeat. He, he yanked out of one of his, his co-liberal communist buddies, mm-hmm. judges retired, to then take the case up to the appeal court that he could buck all this. I mean, it's un- yeah, incredible. The guy, the guy wrote his opinion was absolutely bogus. And just totally overlooked the fact that everything the government was doing was based on fraud from the FBI and the prosecutor's office and everything else. Ab initio is the legal phrase exactly. you use there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's ugly. Well, you know, it reminds me of the, I think his name is Edward Gibbons. Edward Gibbons, the great English writer that wrote The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. And one of the statements <laughs> yeah. in there was... The first engine of tyranny is a corrupt judiciary. Oh, boy. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 
So, and, and you go back and look at some of these Victor David Hansen uh, uh, lectures and stuff. Man, this stuff's been happening for thousands of years. Different setting, different technologies, but same human nature stuff's been going on since the beginning of civilization, evidently. Yep. <clears throat> and that's well, why the religious and the spiritual part of this is so integral, because it's the only way we separate ourselves from that crap. The, uh, I was going to mention, you said there should be more penalties for somebody in public office. I knew there was something in the Constitution that they've equated to that, and that is the high crimes. And a high crime was pulling it up here in the legal and common parlance of the 17th and 18th centuries. High crimes or activities were those who have a special duty acquired by an oath of office. And shared and so on and keeps it goes so that it's in the Constitution that high crimes are supposed to be more penalized by public officials Wow yeah, well, that, that's why that's why when Lewis Lerner after getting exposed from the IRS and and, and screwing all the Tea Party groups and everything for all those years when they got caught and they were going to let her address out she begged the judge not to let the dress out because she might get public condemnation oh gee i've got a <laughs> document that i'm putting into this monster case of mine that basically it's from the doj and the dhs talking about obama uh targeting conservatives and american patriots and people that love the law uh, with a death wish and there's drone zone murderous uh, I got a pen and a, and a drone I know how to use them uh, nonsense and the doctrine of ultra virus is a good way to control the government because it invokes the doctrine of axio trimetus cause of treble damages uh -huh. Uh -huh. this is go. this is something a phrase that I've heard thrown around an awful lot lately and I always want to challenge somebody but it's always these people on these authoritative videos that are throwing it around and that's the phrase the rule of law we need to get back to the rule of law right mm. which, which law <clears throat> which law exactly which law, are we law? getting back to yeah yeah, that's a uh, that's a big uh, that's a big question and uh, we've been bringing that up here for years roger is when they when they talk about that, whose law and what kind of law are you talking about? H.L. Minken here, another quote from him. You might like this, Chris. A judge is a law student who makes his. I'm sorry, I, I misquoted that. A judge is a law student who marks his own examination papers. <laughs> and and uh, we obviously we obviously have a systemic conflicts of interest. Uh, associated with people who, as Cody was talking about, uh, are committing uh, high crimes. Uh, well, these are basic. These are in, 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 inculcate to their character, and and this character issue is is a huge cultural problem. It sure is. We've gone from a culture. We have gone from a culture of uh, what addresses these these these. Uh, uh, these uh, human behaviors that Roger's talking to uh, that have gone over for eons here. Well, 
there's a solution to that. And you have to, everyone here and everybody in order to have the proper character has to come to a repentance in Christ. And it starts there. And this is your culture, a repentance in Christ and to, uh, correct these some of these character flaws to uh, amend these character flaws is a repentance through christ and if we are going to live in a culture where homosexuals uh communists uh atheists satanists are in charge of their rule of law then uh this will just be a continuing vicious cycle so there is a there is a starting point and and it's in this repentance through Christ, and uh, this is the only thing that keeps me uh, even remotely viable. Uh, remotely viable is that very thing, and and uh, the the application through that culture and the people that I interact with and work with on a daily uh, basis. So uh, we have a culture that was supposed to be associated with this thing called the constitution and this history and legacy of who the American people uh, thought they were supposed to be up to this point, which was a culture that uh, provided a rule of law and a means by which the good was made easy to do. It promoted the good. It made the good easy to do. And now we have the inversion of principles where we the bad is easy to do and the good is hard to do and this is we have this total inversion of principles so whenever you're dealing with inverted principles you have to understand straight up you're dealing with a satanic uh spiritual operation and this is throughout the entire legal system and uh as you guys so well illustrated is is wrought throughout the entire uh, uh, structure of uh, social administration. uh, We were talking about the judge aspect of this and the importance of the judiciary. And I remember, I think Brent brought it up and I believe the book was Raul Berger's uh, uh, justice through. I'll think of it in a minute. Uh, but it was one of these books of some scholarly guy that had association with the Supreme Court. And one of the things he brought up, the transition, the change from up to down, was back in the older society, they used to choose judges from out of the society. They would get successful lawyers and stuff like that and appoint them to judgeships. And there were they changed the, through the transition to where they're plucking judges out of the federal government and sticking them in judge positions where they've got a vested interest. Vested interest. Yeah, well, their retirement, they've been in the government with all their socialist buddies. They got all their unions to protect them, all that stuff with that mentality. And they stick them in a judgeship instead of somebody who's out dealing with reality every day. Well, here's here's a good here's a good motivator for for uh, good cops to uh, ignore bad cops or or actually uh, perform illegal orders is a big motivator here and this is a good place to attack them at some point in the future <laughs> if there is one their pensions you attack their pensions okay yep. these people will do things uh and and this is this is military 
police authority on on the social dole is you attack their pensions. Well, I'm going to tell you what. You know Avoid who's using bond. that real effectively? Go China. China. Okay? Anybody that steps out of line, bam, your pension's gone. Boom. Oh, among a myriad of other things, too. But that's always one of them. You go after their bond. They have to be bonded. And if, if you attack their bond, you can't go anywhere else and get a job. Well, you bring up a good point in the Office of Risk Management. And uh, the Office of Risk Management that uh, where these people can, you can go after them. Uh, I'm not exactly sure exactly how that works. Chris may have probably has a lot more insight into that. Uh, what say you, Mr. Cave? He's feeding well, the dog. He's, he's taking care you, of the uh, dog. There have been people sorry. that have done that in the past. Yeah. You've got to go through a real procedure and default them and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it's a, a, a legal pain in the butt if you're ever doing that kind of stuff, if anybody that's done it knows. But it is people have done it before, of, of con contest their mm -hmm. bonds. I'm going to jump off so I can get ready for my show. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the uh, case in Ohio that's been filed against the governor and the state for all the uh, crap that they've been pulling with COVID-19. Start on it yesterday, and it is a beauty. Well, don't forget <laughs> to drag in the Pennsylvania ruling from this week. What's that? Don't forget to drag in the Pennsylvania ruling from this week. Where yeah, they... I talked about that yesterday, too. They attacked it on hey, constitutional grounds, and this one, ours is going on constitutional and scientific. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, Dwayne. Who's trying to get in there? Uh, or Daryl, uh, I mean. It's Daryl here. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> before you go, since you're going to talk about that, uh, I had one more little thing I wanted to point out today before we end here, mm -hmm. which is the, 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 the reason why when the second wave comes, yeah. people – why the second wave will come. We, we know it will come, and why will it come? And it's a rhetorical question, and the reason it will come is because you acquiesce to the first one. That's right. Exactly. exactly. Okay. And, and you, you, you have to draw this out in people's mind, is that there will be more and more and more because you are complicit. Mm-hmm. They right, will so they push and push down and season kids because one or two of them tested positive. They will take presumption and push it to the limit until somebody stands up to them. Exactly. That's the level of tyranny you're going to get, whatever you'll accept. And just think about it. They're pushing, pushing presumption in all this stuff. The, 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 uh, the teacher out in California, they're doing all their Zoom meetings that says, I don't want the parents listening to what I'm teaching their kids. Because they're teaching them how to masturbate and stuff at seven and eight and nine years old. Yep. Well, All right. One more thing. One more thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the AI, artificial intelligence, is monitoring all the Zoom and all these meetings and all these live streams. All these online schools are being monitored and observed and data, data loaded by AI. Well, what's the point of that? Well, the point of that is in two or three years, AI will have learned enough and know enough about all the subject matter that they want to have teach, taught, that is being taught at all grade levels. And everybody will be inculcated and indoctrinated into online teaching. And it will all be AI teaching. And it will look like somebody's there. It'll look like there's a professor, but it'll be AI driven. 
I'm predicting that. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Yep. Get your kids out of public schools and homeschool them. That may be one of the big blowbacks for them is the people that have realized something's wrong and start homeschooling their kids out of this. By yeah, the, way. the numbers are going up, but yep. just not high enough or fast enough. I'm getting ready to have a stencil cut for the back window of my car. And it will oh. say, if you hate your children, send them to government schools. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. Yeah, I like or that. Or you're a bad parent if you send them to government schools, one or the other. Well, that's another you know thing uh, that Trump's bringing and really pushing is the school choice thing to get people out of that downward spiral. How about public schools as child abuse? I liked it when they when California threatened and closed the schools. He said, okay, we'll just pull all the funding and give it to the charter schools. Yeah. <laughs> They lit up like a Christmas tree. I, yeah, one. let me tell you what. He, this guy's poking them with a cow poker every time he gets a chance. And they go, they fall for it every time. Anyway, I'm out, guys. Thanks, Jimbo, Later. for your contribution yep. today care. and Thank your you, firsthand Jim. knowledge, Take buddy. Care, guys. Have a good show, yeah, y'all. Stay tuned and it's transition over to Jim here when we end in a couple minutes. Uh, any loose ends? Anybody? Want? I saw Dennis pop on for a minute, but he, I don't see him now. I didn't get hey, a chance. Hey, Harvey, are you still here? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm, uh, what what was that I case? We, what was that case we were discussing the other day? I brought this up on Roger's show yesterday. You weren't here, and I couldn't remember it. About the uh, the uh, church school that when she brought the lawsuit against them for discrimination, it did not. Um, it was thrown out because they were not incorporated. Therefore, they were not under jurisdiction. Oh. Oh yeah, where'd we see that? Um, my old anyway, brain is not running. It, I was up all night. I haven't had a minute of sleep. Well, that's uh, the reason the feds can't enforce any federal law down there in American Samoa, because it's the only unincorporated yeah. territory in the system. Well, okay, Harvey, do you perhaps happen to remember what what they why they threw it out? What was the verbiage they used to throw that out? They said that uh, a corporation couldn't own property, and it. Uh, oh, that was on. That was on the church issue. Unincorporated churches. We were looking into. Yes. Yes. And uh, I found that by searching uh, on DuckDuckGo for unincorporated churches. I think that was the the phrase that I used. Let me take a quick look. Uh, yep. Yeah, um, well, if you're a, a granting of a corporation has to be from an authority. And if they grant the person personage if you will the authority to be there under these conditions then you got to abide by them because it's allegiance for protection protection for allegiance you received the benefit of the life you're going to pay the duty for receiving that and acting out that life and where it's unincorporated that agreement does not pertain right roger that makes them yeah, a true church. go ahead alan that, that makes them a true church because they're not incorporated and they don't fall under any of the rules. That's correct. And therefore, the institution 
protect those people because the judge did not have jurisdiction because of the First Amendment that says Congress shall make no laws concerning religion or the free exercise thereof. Therefore, the judge had nothing to judge. Okay, I got it here. Uh, what we were talking about was a federal court in the District of Columbia dismissed a discrimination lawsuit that had been brought against a Catholic church and school on the ground that they were unincorporated entities that could not be sued. It was and a discrimination case. You know what Brent says judges feel about discrimination cases? You know what they hate worse than discrimination cases, Harvey? What? The attorney that brought it. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. So how do you transact? How do you get a bank account then if you're an unincorporated church? You get it as some kind of a partnership or? If you don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, At this point, you can ask Brent on Friday maybe that question right there. But we don't have time yeah. to kick around any possibilities, options, or even potential answers. Until Asta in George Spanish. George Orwell said. Asta manana. Until tomorrow. What did George will say, Daryl? Some, idea, some ideas are so stupid only intellectuals can believe them. <laughs> That's right. Hasta la vista, baby. Lay that body down, baby. We'll see y'all manana and la manana.